This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 384 with Tavana Givens. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, as well as any discount codes from our sponsors, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 384. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Tavana Givens is a shameless mom to two sons, a coach, a writer, a speaker, and a widow. She has always been in the business of healing as a massage therapist and a Reiki master for over 13 years. She's developed an exceptional way of building trust and connection with every person she works with. With the sudden passing of her husband in 2014, it has been her mission to create space for widowed mamas like herself to use their pain as a catalyst for growth. She's the proud mother to her sons, James and Jordan. She lives for family, travel, waterfronts, podcasts, chocolate, laughter, and random acts of kindness. She holds a bachelor's in liberal arts, a master's in public administration, and is the VP of education for Toastmasters. And she's currently preparing to launch her very own podcast. Tavana's life was flipped upside down literally overnight with the very sudden passing of her husband, James. I heard Tavana's story a couple years ago when she first joined my community, and I knew immediately that I wanted her to be a guest someday. So I'm so honored for that day to be here and so delighted that she was open to sharing her story because I know that you listening to her story of grief will help you process grief or help you have a deeper understanding for those around you. 
who might be processing grief on different levels. So I'm so, so grateful to bring Tavana to the show. Listen in to hear Tavana share the intimate details of losing her husband very quickly and completely unexpectedly. The trajectory of her grief and what it still looks like five years after losing her husband. How her boundaries and badassery have strengthened as she has worked through grief. The theory and the impact of widow brain. Her belief that trauma is not our destiny, it's our greatest catalyst for growth how joy and hope and pain and grief all coexist and how she's rebuilt her life on her terms, including writing her ideal life narrative. With all that said, I'm so excited and so deeply honored to be welcoming Tavana Givens to the show. Tavana Givens, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you. I'm so excited to join you today, Sarah. So I have to tell people how we know each other because I always love making connections. So Tavana is a longtime shameless mom and longtime momentum mama and a support person, a speaker introducer from Shameless Mom Con 2019. So you've been in like all my circles. This is so yes. exciting for me. Yes. I am totally an OG. I love it. Yes. Because I believe you were in the early, early, were you in the Momentum Mamas when it was just a short four-week program? Yes, I I was. Okay. There's a handful of you. So you're like 2018. Yes. Yes. Early days. I love it. So fun. Okay. So I want you to tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. Okay. So right now, in terms of personal life, I have a deep gratitude lately for seasons, as it is the season for back to school. I'm so happy. (laughs) I'm right there with you celebrating the season. (laughs) So happy when September rolls around and the boys are back in school because it provides, you know, some more routine and structure and schedule. And then also fall is just a great time, a great season for us with you know, all the leaves turning and the holidays and all of our birthdays are in the fall as well. Nice, nice. And how old are your sons? So they are 10 and 13 and very much in full tween mode and (laughs) teen mode and very into testing boundaries and lots of attitude that comes along with that. Nice, nice. Anything professionally that you're pumped up about right now? So I um, work professionally as a coordinator for a nonprofit and uh, working in a joint partnership to grow a program that received over a quarter of a million dollar grant. So that's been really exciting to see this program launch and um, grow from infancy and kind of be a part of the long term vision of the program. Very cool. What's the program or who does the program serve? So uh, so I work for CHI Franciscan, and then it's a joint partnership with Carol Mogart Breast Center. So we are working on uh, decreasing in prostate cancer for African-American community, Pacific Islander community, as well as the Latino community. Oh my gosh, I love it. What a great mission. Such yeah. so important. Very, very cool. Okay, so I invited you on the show to share your story of being a shameless mom as a widowed mama. And I have to tell you, I learned about your story early on. In fact, I must have learned 
now that I'm thinking about this, I'm connecting the dots of my past. I learned in that initial Momentum Mamas group that you were in with me that you were a widow. And I remember at the time thinking, I want her to come on the show and share her story. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I'm going to wait a minute, (laughs) but this needs to happen someday. (laughs) So we're laughing. This is not a light subject, but when I learned that you were a mother raising two sons, a single mom, and that you'd been widowed, I just had immediately so much empathy for your situation, so much compassion for you. And also just like was in awe of all of the things that you have had to endure because of those circumstances. And I think that these are the stories that are really important for us to tell. And so I'm going to have you talk about that journey a little bit. Tell us about losing your husband how you ended up in that situation and and that scenario played out for you and for your family. Sure. So James, which is my husband, he was my best friend and my biggest, loudest and proudest fan. We were together for over 15 years and we were married for 12 years. James was the kind of guy that you could always count on for anything, anytime. He would always be there. We were also very both intentional about building the kind of family that we wanted to have. So things, you know, like at the time was like, you know, only homemade organic baby food (laughs) or like only homemade wipes or no TVs in the house. And he was a prolific reader. So books everywhere and like only reading books. And so we really, really wanted to represent what we thought in our eyes were like the building blocks of a perfect black family. And neither of us grew up in a home where there was a father present. So we were keenly aware of how important a two-parent household was for us. So we were going into this, you know, wanting this perfect Black family with, you know, all of the things that we thought were important. So, yeah. So then we ended up being together for, you know, 15 years and having two sons. And about five years ago, my husband ended up getting the H1N1 swine flu and wasn't really getting any better after about a week. So when he coughed, he was in a lot of pain. So ended up taking him to the ER and they admitted him and they ran a whole bunch of tests and rolled out a whole bunch of things. And then toward the end of the evening, they were saying that it's probably just a virus. We'll give him, you know, two or three different types of antibiotics and he'll be fine in a day or two. So Ended up leaving the hospital that night and got a call around 7.30 in the morning the next day saying that he was not breathing on his own and that they were gravely concerned. And I was just like, how did we go? Yeah. (laughs) So when you left, I mean, was there like any talk that this could go in this direction? No. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, 
IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you've got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing. And they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. No. Wow. No. Yeah. I left the hospital thinking like, okay, like they're going to give him a whole bunch of antibiotics and He'll be fine in, in a day or two. Yeah, there was no. And he was like no, conscious, conscientious when you left? For the most part, you know, everything is kind of a blur, but yeah. I know that he ended up like spiking a fever. Mm. And so he was a little, you know, having some symptoms of having a high fever. And I remember the doctor trying to understand like what's going on with that? Like, why is he having a high fever? But, <laughs> but for the most part, like I was talking to him and everything was for the most part, okay, like, you know, besides being sick. Yeah, so, and then they called me at about 7.30 in the morning and said that he wasn't breathing on his own and that they were gravely concerned to get there as soon as I could. And I just, you know, was just, just at a loss. Like, how, you know, how did that happen overnight? Yeah. You know, yeah. like, we, this is not what, this is not what we had talked about. So I called one of my really, really dear friends who wasn't that far away and just, asked her to please come with me because I just, you know, had no idea what was going on. Got there about 8.30 in the morning or about an hour later. And then he passed away about 30 minutes later. Oh and I remember, gosh, yeah, there isn't even really a word. 
I remember getting up there and the doctor saying that, you know, once again, that he was gravely concerned. And I remember saying he was like not breathing on his own. And, and I would just remember thinking to myself, like, I can't go in there. I can't like see him like that. This person who was just full of life and, you know, just this amazing like force of being and who would have like literally fought death. Right. <laughs> and so I, was like, I just can't be in there. So I remember sitting in the, like the little chapel thing that they have in the hospitals. And I remember a nurse telling me, well, if you hear a code blue, it's probably your husband. And so I remember going and sitting in there and I remember like having my fingers like covering my ears because I didn't want to hear it. It's just, you just, That's all so these, like, all these different, you know, the way your body responds. Yes. Yeah. You know, I was going to say like, just I'm, not even conscious. I'm sure. Yeah. But I remember like having my, I guess it's your index fingers, like covering my ears, like pushing my ears, like so, so tightly because I didn't want to hear, I didn't want to hear, you know, code blue. And I heard it because, you know, it was a hospital. They're, yeah. you know, they're yeah. really loud. And I, we must have been like on the ICU, I think, probably. And I remember hearing the code and I remember just screaming and wailing. And then I remember maybe like a minute or so later, a, a lady came and sat next to me and was just holding me. And then after I kind of stopped sobbing for a second, and I was like, are you one of the nurses here? And she's like, no, I just was walking by and saw you. Cry. I don't even know who this lady wow. is. She's like, it's just like, just an just angel. Like, yeah. Just heard you crying. And then I got up and left. It's just amazing. You know, that fight or flair. Mm -hmm. So I left. I didn't even go to like the room. I just literally got up and left and went outside and went and sat in the car mm -hmm. and was your friend with you during this time? The friend that went with you? No, she, my dear friend, she was with my husband. Okay. So she was there okay. when okay. he passed away. Okay. Yeah. And I'm forever grateful to her. Yeah. yeah, she was there. I don't even know why I did that. But I went to my car and was sitting in there and I couldn't accept, you know, nobody mm -hmm. wants to hear that. Right. So I'm sitting in my car and then I remember a chaplain was looking for me. I don't even know how I knew that, but I heard that. And so she came and sat in my car, the chaplain. Mm. And I was like thinking to myself, like, like, you know, like, okay, if the chaplain is coming out and talking to, you know, <laughs> she never, you know, she never told me she was trying to get me to come inside. Okay. So she hadn't and given you confirmation. You're just still assuming no. like, I heard there was a code blue and that yeah. can only mean one thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so she's trying to get me to come inside. And then my brother-in-law comes I mean, eventually one day we'll have to like have dinner and I'll have to have people tell me yeah he's <laughs> together because yeah. then I hear him, and then my brother-in-law comes and I could just tell like he had been mm -hmm. crying and was you know angry and and he's like you gotta come in and then so I remember in the elevator my brother-in-law and my other best friend telling me that he had passed away and I just lost it like in the elevator and I remember the door opening and they're like trying to push the buttons like oh my gosh we have to get this elevator to close again <laughs> she's you know she's you know she's like having a break right, you know, breakdown right. and they're trying to get the elevator to close people are like what's going on yeah so that's what I remember in terms of the initial passing part and where were your boys during this were they at home I believe that they were with my mom I think because it 
he had been in the hospital. And then so that it was like a late night. And so I think I had asked her to watch them. So they were, yeah, they were at my mom's house. I'm sure. So to whatever degree you're comfortable, talk a little bit about seeing your sons and what was that like? So I remember sitting in the hospital in the little room that they say, you know, you can have. And my friend's boyfriend picked them up from my mom's house and brought them to the hospital. I remember us kind of having this conversation about who wants to tell them. And I remember when they came into the room and like everybody was there and the, you know, there were five and eight at the time, and, you know, just mm, so little so and so little. small yeah. and, you know, just walking in the door, not having any idea what was going on. And they had made like get well cards, you know, cause you know, who's mm, in the hospital. So right. they made get well cards and they had like the get well cards in their hands. And it was just this, you feel like hey, this is just not happening. Yeah, it's like completely surreal. You know, this is just not happening. And then just this deep, like sorrow, you know, just like they, um, like sorrow and denial and just like, just not wanting to accept that they, you know, won't have, you know, a dad, but a lot of like just deep sorrow and this just surrealness initially when seeing both of the boys and trying to figure out like how I'm going to tell them this and who's going to tell them. So I somehow told them because I remember asking them if they wanted to see him and say goodbye. I don't know, but somebody must have told me like it's good for them to be able to say goodbye and have closure. So yeah. I remember the nurse saying, okay, I'll, I'll get them fixed up. Cause I guess, you know, when you oh, have, have the code, they, yeah, I guess working they, on him. yeah, they do all kinds of things to try and, um, you know, poke things. And yeah. I remember she saying, you know, I'll get them ready, you know, so it doesn't look as scary. And then I remember us going down there in the room. And I, I don't remember <laughs> the conversation yeah, or what was said, but they did, you know, go in and what I imagine was probably terrifying and confusing and all the big scary things, you know, for five and eight year old. But yeah. And then we left after, you know, a couple minutes or so. And how did you navigate. So there's these two things that are happening simultaneously. You're, I mean, there's probably a lot more than that, but the two big things that come to mind are that you're in this massive state of grief and probably denial and anger and all those things. And then you're also probably feeling fiercely protective of your children and their grief. And so talk about those few months. And I mean, those few months might've been a lot more than a few months. I'm sure, but mm-hmm. kind of navigating those early months at least and what that was like for you. And for yes, in, in the early months, I remember there just being a lot of, well, I, I remember the first two weeks for myself with all of the funeral preparations. So it's, it's a lot of work. And I remember just being like really busy, you know, like administrative and really busy. And I remember sitting on the couch at the funeral home you know, having to pick a casket. And there was a lot of decisions to make, you know, with, you know, flowers and food and program. And it's like, I'm 38. I don't know how to, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no one's funeral. taught me that yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> funeral program is supposed to look like. Right. And then he had served in the army. So there was some things that came along with that. But in the early months, there was a lot of denial, a very surreal feeling, just like this is not, 
like this is just not happening and then also there was a lot of like waiting for him to come home Mm. so I remember like his shoes still being at the front door his clothes still being in the closet like you know the dishes that we had ate dinner with like still being you know in the sink everything's a memory yeah like you know his phone is there his wallet's on the counter you know what I mean like everything's still being there like the first couple weeks. And then I remember for me, like wanting to just keep busy. Like I went back to work after just two weeks. So just wanting to stay busy. My oldest son at the time went back to school, like a couple, you know, I asked him, of course, you know, any time off, but he went back to school like right away. I also remember it being really painful to be home, but also really painful to be outside. So it was just really painful everywhere. Everywhere was very painful. (laughs) Like really, you know, you don't want to be at home because you don't want to remember. But then it was really painful to be outside because to this day, you know, seeing other families, Mm. hearing, you know, people say husband or or dad or seeing a family of, you know, a mom and a dad and two boys. It's just like it's, you know, a constant remembrance. So. Being outside was also really painful. And then also in the early months, I remember there being a ton of support. You know, everybody wants to, you know, help. And I swear you could ask for a rainbow color unicorn and you just might get it. Like, <laughs> you know, just like a ton of support in those first couple months. Yeah. And then just also just feeling. But then after that, I noticed after about like the six month mark, just feeling like really numb and like wanting to isolate. And that's also kind of the time when people kind of start to want to give you more space or think you kind of have things together. And then you're kind of like, no, you're like, no, like, don't have anything nope. together over here. I need that casserole, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the meal train would be good now. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I remember at the six month mark, like being really spending a lot of time in my room and, you know, not wanting to get out of bed and, you know, just feeling really numb. And then there's also this thing in my support groups that they call widow brain, which is just your brain does not just does not function. There's like some serious neurological things that happen when you experience, you know, like grief and and trauma. So tell me, I'm curious, and I think this is actually really valuable. Talk a little bit about, you said, mentioned being in a support group talk a little bit about that and how did that play a role for you? So they were two sides of the coin for the support groups. Some nights I felt like I couldn't just wanted, I could not sit in that chair. I just wanted to get out. So that denial and surreal and just not wanting to accept, you know, that. So just wanting to just be like, this is just, you know, just really uncomfortable. I shouldn't be here. And then also you feel like, I remember one person saying, you know, you feel like you're just like in this glass, you know, fishbowl and everybody's just, you know, watching you and, you know, seeing your next move and everything's focused on you. But then also finding comfort in knowing that I'm not alone. Most of the support groups were not geared toward younger women. So, you know, there's, you know, it's, you know, sometimes it's or more likely to find, you know, older women in the in the support group. So sometimes there was a few younger women. And so being able to feel supported in that, you know, that you're not alone, because when it happened, especially at 38, it just felt like, oh, my gosh, I am the only 38 year old. Well, yeah, to entire... be in a group. <laughs> yeah, a support group of people in their 70s would not be yeah. super, that would not feel supportive. Yeah, yeah. So just feeling like, you know, like there's, there's some other, you know, 
some other women out there who are in the same age range as me. But then also, too, I remember being in that support group, a common thing, especially like with the younger women, is just that things that you once thought were important are just like, you know, just no longer important, like, you know, fancy handbag or, you know, designer jeans or whatever. It's like, it's just it's, some of those things just at that time, just were just no longer important. So yeah, finding some common Did that ground. give you less in this? I'm sure this is something that's talked about in support groups for mm-hmm. loss a lot. Does that give you like absolutely zero patience for people who are caught up in silly, ridiculous things like handbags and cute shoes? At the time, yes, because you just feel like, you know, like my whole world just like crumbled and you know an instant and you're concerned about some superficial whatever whatever like you know what I mean but you know I mean I've grown a lot but yes yeah you definitely have a little less patience for you know like which handbag you want to get or which you know new pair of shoes you want to get when (laughs) people's you know Yeah. Husbands are dying overnight. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know that you've said a number of things that so going through a six year infertility journey, which is completely different than your scenario, but there's been a few parallels that I've noticed Mm -hmm. where you're like walking through a day of grief and you see the rest of the world either experiencing a lot of joy and you're like, they don't even know. Like, how dare they be so happy because the world sucks. Or yes. on the other side, being consumed with something that's ridiculous and all caught up in it. And again, being like, you don't even know how good you have it. And I can't be around you right now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I used to being around other couples and when the woman who for whatever, probably, you know, very, very good reason would, you know, be pissed off or annoyed or whatever with her husband. And I would just be like, just be nice to him because you just don't know you know, like, you know, he's probably, he could step outside and get hit by a bus. So, you know, so just, (laughs) I remember that. Yeah. I remember having that conversation with with my sister. So (laughs) totally makes sense. That makes a ton of sense. She'd be like, but he's such a jerk. And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) you're like, I'm very pro sexism. Stay in every relationship. Stay. You need a man. Everyone needs a patriarch. <laughs> I, know. I have to be very, very aware of that if I do get remarried. Too. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, that perspective, it's so interesting, those shifts in perspectives and grief is such a fascinating thing. And how you wake up on any given day is like, it colors your perspective no matter what. Yes. And so, I mean, and having awareness around that, I know it totally makes sense that you'd be really annoyed with you'd be annoyed with people who are annoyed with their husbands and then you'd be annoyed with people who are in love with their husbands like both are just really bad (laughs) yes 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 yeah because all you you know I'm like you know I just would love to be able to have another conversation with them again and then to hear somebody arguing or you know being mad at their husband so I have to be very careful yeah when I get remarried (laughs) so you said that seeing couples families father figures still is triggering to you and it's been has it been five years Yes, five years. And has that dulled over time? Does it stay the same? Is it something that you think will always be there? I think that it will always be there. I have accepted the fact that this is like, it's a part of my life. And it's been, you know, monumental in the way that it's, you know, that it's shaped and formed me and my family. I do feel as though that seeing another family 
you know, and there's, you know, the mom and the dad and the, uh, or, you know, and the, the two kids, especially your <laughs> two boys that yeah. I feel like it will probably always be mm-hmm. kind of triggering. Cause I mean, even a couple weeks ago, you know, I see a family and it just gets me all teary eyed. So, and I think it's more so for the loss of my sons. They won't, you know, they don't have a dad. And just knowing like how, you know, we were so intentional about creating our family and, you know, do everything perfectly, you know, and, and, and raising two, you know, black men and, you know, just wanting to have everything, you know, right and perfect and then not having fathers. And so when I see that, yeah, it's uh, very triggering. And so I think that it will probably be there. It it does sting a little less as, as time goes on, but it definitely is, is still a trigger. Yeah. This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with EarnIn. EarnIn is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the EarnIn app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So earning can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download EarnIn today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the EarnIn app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. So you say that trauma is not our destiny. It's our greatest catalyst for growth. At what point were you able to see past trauma and grief and start to reframe it into a catalyst for growth? So I remember about probably about a year after my husband died and sitting there thinking like, 
you know, is this it? And I was like, no, like, hell no, like, this is not it. Like, I had this vision of myself, like, asking someone to hold my water bottle. Well, I did all these amazing things. And the meaning behind that being like, I'm just not going to sit, you know, or stand on the sidelines while life passes me by. And so there's this lady who I've been following for a while and had the pleasure of meeting. Her name is Coach Kathy McCoy. And I remember her asking the question of what will I do with my pain? And, and so she, you know, coaches such people. a big question. I know. And it, I mean, that's like a lot to unpack. Yes. Just, <laughs> like, but just like, you know, what will you do with your pain? And so I was determined to not let this, you know, for the most part, like overtake and consume me in terms of like grief and sorrow and pain and, and I remember wanting to, I remember like having this next to my bedroom, like these sticky notes with just, I've always wanted to use, like, I've always asked the universe, like, okay, use me, use my story, use me as an example. I remember hearing this lady who had went to prison and then she came out of prison and started some type of a like nonprofit, like helping other women through what she had learned as being an inmate. And I just remembered like just sobbing, like, oh my gosh, it's so wonderful. And, like, use me, use my story. Let me be an example. So I remember like doing this whole thing on my wall, like with sticky notes and trying to figure out how I could help, help other women. But I was just really determined to have new beginnings and just not let this traumatic event you know, define my life. Like I really, I remember sitting and sobbing one of my therapist uh, couches for some reason I had in my mind that like us three would never be happy. Like there's no way that we could go to Disneyland and be happy. (laughs) That's just impossible. There's no way that we could, you know, thrive or be happy again. I remember about a month after my husband passed um, laughing at something and feeling so guilty about it. Like I shouldn't be happy. I shouldn't be laughing. And I just was like, no, that's not, you know, like long-term trauma, you know, that's just not the destination. And, you know, I'm going to use this event in my life for growth Mm -hmm. and development and to help other people and to smile again, again, be happy again, live again. And, and so from there, there's been a lot of work that I have done. I think this is really interesting and important to point out that you can take on that attitude, which I think is amazing and very powerful, and also have your grief still in play. And so you can, at the same time, be like, I'm going to use my story for the greater good and be angry at the cute couple walking down the street holding hands with their twin sons. (laughs) Like there's absolutely room for both of those things. And I think that we think that like one happens in like that one... I think we think of it as like being linear, that as soon as you're done grieving, then you can maybe find this to be like a good lesson for the greater good. And it's really that those things completely overlap. Yes, absolutely. A thousand percent. Yes. (laughs) Yes. As you endured this journey and started to grow through your grief, you were able to start embracing bravery, badassery, and boundaries. So tell us about that and how that serves you today. Oh, yeah. So I used to be the one to say... You know, oh, I'm easy to please. Like, you know, I don't need very much or, you know, sorry for anything. You know, <laughs> sorry for, for breathing. Sorry for walking next to you. Or, you know, like, yeah, my life is really full as a solo parent while working on a master's degree and, you know, being employed at the same mm-hmm. time. But sure, I can, you know, bake, 
you know, for the PTA or help with after school sports, you know, like, where do I sign up? And then I would also be the type of person to be, you know, not, you know, celebrate my wins or to not let myself shine. And over the course of the years now, I'm like, you know, it's really easy for me to say, nope, that doesn't work for my schedule or for my family or, you know, not being sorry for who I am or taking up space or, you know, I'm far more able to take risks, you know, like if you, you know, like I spoke at a breakfast fundraiser telling my story I was also like the MC for for work events or, you know, like hosting work events where I'm like, like actually up on the stage speaking nice. in front of people. Yeah. So it's easier for me to take some risks now. I love it. I think that's awesome. And I think that you get to a point like when you've gone through something really, really hard, then the level of hardness of other things shifts dramatically. Yes. So you're like, oh, saying no to the PTA cupcakes, not a problem. <laughs> Say yes to being on a stage, like that's terrifying. And also I've done harder things. Yes, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) What are some of the limiting beliefs of grieving families? I remember like I would kind of mentioned before that after my husband passed away, like laughing and just feeling, you know, that just feeling incredibly guilty for laughing. Like I should be, you know, puffy eyed and just still sad. And then also, you know, that we shouldn't be having fun. Like, you know, that, that just was out of the picture. So I would say being happy again is a limiting belief. Thriving again as a family is a limiting belief. Loving again, you know, just thinking that you'll never find true love again, or, you know, find your soulmate again, or however you want to frame it, or somebody that had the same, you know, high standards as your partner. And then always just thinking that you're always going to be in pain is Another limiting belief. Yeah, those all absolutely make sense. You say that your sons experienced two losses when they lost their father. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, my oldest son has expressed that he experienced two losses, one for his father and then the second loss being his mother, me. I don't know how I showed up via my son's lens, you know, when Mm -hmm. my husband had passed away. I can guarantee you, however, without a doubt, I wasn't you know, the same mom yeah. <laughs> as, I, as I was before. But it's very heartbreaking to know that your son in some way feels as though I wasn't there for him emotionally. You know, I took them after he passed away to like five different therapists, like, okay, is it number one, two, three, four, five? And then after the fifth one, you know, of them refusing to go to individual therapy, I was like, okay, something else has to work. So we did do bridges, which was like a group therapy. We did that for a year. But on some days, honestly, all I could do was take the boys to school, go to work and drive through for dinner. So he definitely has said numerous times and as well as to his therapist that he definitely felt as though that he lost me as well. So now that it's, you know, we're getting to the, you know, past the five year mark, and I'm a different person. I've had therapy and done a lot yeah. of self-development and, you know, more available, you know, mentally, <laughs> you know, to be there for them. So it's changing. But with that has come a lot of resistance mm-hmm. and saying, you know, <laughs> because there was loose boundaries and a lot of, you know, just kind of like silos going on in the house where we were all just kind of doing our own numbing things. 
So there's been a lot of resistance as, you know, mom is healthier and <laughs> better, a better place now. And I would imagine that's really common. I would imagine like you spend a decent amount of time in survival mode. And then when you start to come out of that and like just everyone's expectations are shifting and evolving. Yes. I remember being really annoyed with God and being like, Okay, so I lose my husband of 15 years, um, 38 with a five and an eight year old. And now I have a 10 and 13 year old and the 13 year old pretty much hates my guts mm -hmm. <laughs> for, for my grieving process. And now that I'm, you know, <laughs> in, a, in a better like, This is my reward for, yeah, for grieving, being the grieving widow. How is that? You know, how yeah. is that even possible? Right. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh. Well, and I also think that this is a good example of you, it's not like you were an absent parent, like you were tied into getting them therapy and putting them in programs and like doing all the thing, like checking the boxes of like, this is what you should do for a child who has sustained trauma. And that every child's different. They're going to navigate things very differently. And it's not a formula. <laughs> you, yeah. And a, like a formula would be really nice <laughs> because it's not a formula. And you, so you, I'm sure that is part of the struggle as well is that um, you are having to continue to navigate something that like in your own grieving process. And then as your children grow through this in such formative years, that that's so ongoing. Yes, it's very ongoing. And I've accepted the fact that it's probably going to be a lifelong process. Yeah. And one thing that I felt comforted, I remember one of my friends telling me, cause I just felt really shitty. Like, you know, I don't know, should have dragged into a sex therapist. I don't know, but I remember my friend telling me, you know, Tavana, you were entitled to your grieving process. You know, like you were entitled to that. But yes, you know, tried to do all of the things, you know, therapy and stories and books and, you know, all of the things. But as they have are becoming, you know, tween and teen, it's been the perfect storm for my teenager in terms of hormones. And I think kind of starting the grieving process as well as like some anxiety and depression. So it's been quite the ride as, you know, as the grief kind of, as the grieving process unfolds for him and my other son, it, you know, it just affects people in different ways because he hasn't really grieved all that much, if, if any, I don't believe in those first five years. So yeah. Yeah. it's been quite the ride recently. Constantly, <laughs> constantly evolving. Yes. How are you rebuilding life on your own terms? So I created my ideal life narrative and I, I read it this. almost, yeah, I read it almost every day to keep myself inspired and motivated. It's beautiful. It's just beautiful. And it just warms up my heart and it lights me up. And so that's one thing I definitely do is just read that every day to keep being What did out. you call it? Your ideal life narrative? Yes. My ideal life narrative. It's one page and it's, it's beautiful. It's just really beautiful. Another thing that I do is I finally am at a point in my life where I define what success is for myself and for my family, not by what society says. Mm. So success for me some weeks is honestly having dinner, you know, having like homemade dinner, yeah, you know, yeah. so, or, you know, making sure that I'm being firm with screen time. Another big thing that I'm really big on is routines and systems so that things um, just kind of stay, 
as fluid as possible without all of the craziness. So really just being in the habit of creating routines and systems for the family. I also give myself a lot of permission for however that looks like for me in my day or in my week. Another thing is working in my zone of genius. I know that you're big on this, yes. <laughs> but working on my zone of genius, yeah, like in my personal life and then also my professional life, it's just, doesn't make any sense to spend all that time and energy on things that I'm, you know, not interested in or not, or not good at, right. but the cupcakes so like, for the PTA. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then also rebuilding in terms of me and my boys travel. It's so important to me. So we travel, we do quite a bit of local weekend getaways. And then we've done a couple out of state trips. And then in March, we will be in New Orleans, just us three so far. Fun. Oh, that'll be so, super fun. Yeah. Oh, I love that you're being so conscientious about all these different things. So I want to know what is your favorite thing to do in your zone of genius? Do you have a top contender? I would say, and I think that my friends would all agree that I am, I am a natural at like party planning and retreats. Oh, oh. Yeah. I just, I love like, you know, like all of the like decorating and planning and organizing and um, yeah, I love party planning. Love it. Love it. Love it. So cool. So cool. Yes. What are you most proud of and what have you accomplished that you didn't think you could after you lost your husband? So I would say that I am most proud of every milestone that I show up for my boys. So every first day of school, every Father's Day, every dad and pancakes night, every musical concert, graduation, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas without my husband and without their father. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there in the audience for them with a smile on my face. <laughs> That's what I'm most proud of all those milestones without their dad. Yeah. I would imagine that it's really hard to go to the father-son stuff. Yes. And that that's probably pretty triggering for them. Yes. They don't really express it in the beginning. We would try and find a substitute. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Stand in. Yeah. Like an uncle or grandfather or something. And then, and then we kind of just kind of got over it. It was like, you know, kind of like F it. It is what it is. And right. if mom is there or if we don't go, then that's, that's right. what it is. Right. So my son's school, instead of having like a father, daughter and a mother, son thing, they call it, it's like girls and special male friends or something. Oh. <laughs> and then like boys and special female friends, the way they word it, because they're trying to be like super inclusive. I'm inclusive. like, <laughs> and I think they're trying to do that to protect children who, you know, there's multiple families with single parents for various reasons. And I think they're trying to do it to be protective. But I'm like, it just sounds creepy. Like we all know what it is. When you're like your special female friend or your special male friend or whatever. I know. It's like, I know you think like, come on people. Like, do we, you yeah, know, the kids they have who to don't know, have like, that person in their life. Do not feel less like their pain is not less because you've given it this weird name. <laughs> yeah, I know. And families are so, you know, this family structure is so different, you know, yeah. from each family. It's just amazing how you need to be more creative about those things. Right. <laughs> So I want to know, I mean, you've already given us a million examples, but how are you currently showing up as a shameless mom? I would say challenging myself at home and in the world. So at home, you know, being a shameless mom by being 
probably the most unpopular mom, according to my voice, <laughs> like in terms of like screen time, like I really, cause especially as we've starting to move out of those numbing behaviors that yeah. we had, you know, in the beginning. So screen time was a big thing for them. So being really strict and firm with screen time or, you know, like taking to the stage, you know, for a work event or saying, yes, absolutely. A thousand percent. I love to do an interview with, you know, with, you know, for the Shameless Mommy. Yes. Oh my gosh. I was so excited because I knew you had some things going on. So I was like, if it's not good timing, we don't have to do it. You were like, yes, I'm in now. Yes. Yeah. So just like challenging myself more. I love that. How are you carrying out your husband's legacy for yourself and for your kids? You know, I think about him all the time, you know, and I just continue to to go forward. I continue to get up out of bed. I continue to raise our sons with compassion and kindness and a whole lot of, you know, being, you know, authentically who they are and, and thinking critically. But I really, you know, just honor him by just you know, this vision that we have for our family. And I'm, you know, just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And, you know, just, yeah, I don't know, <laughs> trying to put it all together, but just trying to, you know, and, and still honor him through, you know, I always mention him to the boys, whether it's, you know, that was your dad's favorite food or book or dad would have loved that or he would have been so proud of you. But just knowing that I know that he would want us to continue to go forward and, and blaze new trails for sure. Yes. Yes. I love that. I'm sure that your sons, I mean, they're of the age now where everything's probably elicits an eye roll, but (laughs) to get those little glimpses of like knowing my dad loved this or that or the other thing, I would just imagine that that is special and important, even if they can't express that. (laughs) And even if all you hear is that you're the worst mom in the world. Yes. Okay. So Tavana, before I let you go, tell people where they can find you, connect with you. And especially if there might be some other widows who want to reach out or anyone who wants to connect into the different ways you work with people. Yes. I am happy to connect with people. And the best way is my website, which is TavanaGivens.com. So T-A-V-O-N-A-G-I-V-E-N-S.com. Or I have a free Facebook group, Yes Widows Can, or Instagram or LinkedIn at Tavana Givens. Awesome. So we're going to have all that linked up in the show notes so people can go to shamelessmom.com and click on the episode with Tavana Givens to find that. Thank you. Thank you, Tavana. So Tavana, this has been so awesome and so special. I so appreciate you being here and I wish that I could give you a huge hug after this because I'm extremely grateful. I know that this is not an easy conversation to have no matter how many times you have it in different contexts. And I also know that other shameless moms are going to learn today and have a new perspective on what widow life can be like. But also I know there's going to be other shameless moms who know someone in your situation, maybe newly in your situation who they could share this episode with, or maybe there's a mom listening right now who has recently lost a partner and can relate to every bit of this. And it could be the thing that completely shifts their perspective and gives them the space and the grace that they need to heal. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. And are you going to be at Shameless MomCon 2020? Absolutely. I'm putting you on the spot big time because I don't know if you have a ticket yet. But if you want to meet Tavana in person, I'm so now you're like totally on the hook. 
<laughs> Meet Tavana at Shameless Mom Gone 2020. Now you'll be like the superhero of the event. Oh gosh, I'll wear my cape. Yes, I will be there. Yes. So thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you. And it's such a pleasure to have you in our community. And thank you for sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact invented. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking